Tom had mentioned, uh, we've been looking at the issue of forgiveness. We're in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And the reason we took a detour here and spent more, you know, more time on this topic is because I believe, personally, as do the other guys, we believe this is one of the most misunderstood biblical principles that there is. This is um, an issue, the issue of forgiveness that keeps people in bondage. We talk about freedom this week. We talk about, with the 4th of July, we celebrate our uh, independence, our freedom as a nation. But this type of freedom is way more important. It's personal freedom. It's freedom that God has granted to those who know him and those who trust him and by faith walk with him. And because this is such a, an important issue, what I find doing what I do, and, and I've, been, uh, I've been functioning as a discipler or a counselor here for 20 years, and this is, in my estimation, the most misunderstood concept, and yet it's probably one of the most important principles uh, for a Christian in their life. Uh, there's some prerequisites to being able to do what we're going to talk about here in the, in the next few minutes concerning forgiveness. Uh, those two are very important because you can't, you can't jump off the diving board unless you build it first. Uh, and, and that's really what Paul's been doing. Uh, that's what he did in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And if you were around back when I preached you know, months ago uh, in this book, I challenged those who were here that day to take a highlighter and go through the book of Ephesians and highlight everything that was true, everything that Paul said was true in reference to a Christian, a believer, somebody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, somebody who acknowledged themselves as a sinner in need, someone who has transgressed the the, uh, the righteousness of a holy God and has called out for help to Jesus Christ and accepted him, his invitation of a relationship with him by virtue of his taking that barrier out of the way, that barrier of sin. Those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, they're Christians. This is who he's writing to. And so this is who Paul reminds, hey, this is what's happened to you. And if, if you look, I challenge you to take all the, or take a marker and highlight everything that he says is true about a Christian, a believer, somebody who's put their faith in, in Christ. And you'll see that uh, what he does here is the first three chapters of Ephesians, I'll read just some of my highlights. Listen to what he's telling these people. First of all, he, he writes it to the saints at Ephesus. Now the reason why he refers to them as saints is not because of their great deeds, not because they performed miracles, not because of anything that they did. It's because that's who they are. That's how he references all who believe 
saints. Saint means holy one. Fifty sometimes in the New Testament, believers are referred to as saints. So he's addressing the saints who are at Ephesus. And it goes on to say that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us to adoption as sons. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses uh, according to the riches of his grace. He made known to us the mystery of his will. We have obtained an inheritance. Uh, it, say, it goes on to say that um, we were sealed with, in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who, give, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Uh, goes on to say, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in, the kind, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and then we hit a transition here. You see, in chapter 4, it starts with the word, Therefore. If you did that assignment and you highlighted everything that was true about a believer, everything that was promised to a believer, everything that's been given to a believer, you'll see that there's a whole lot of highlights in the first three chapters. But what you don't find in the first three chapters are what to do, how to live. Because he's building a foundation. He says, you know, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Because if you know who you are, then what you do will reflect who you are. And so he makes it very clear that they need to know, and you'll see this in all of his letters, you need to know who you are and able to do what God has for you to do. You see, we're a new creation. He references that here in a minute. We're a new creation. We're born again. We're children of the Most High God. We have all this stuff. If we don't believe that, we're not going to live like it. If we think we're broke, we're never going to spend. We may have, a, we have, we may have a, an inheritance that uh, we're told we have and it's ours for the taking, but we never go pick it up so we can never spend it. That's what so many Christians do. That's why Paul's spending his time emphasizing to the believers Hey, you got to know who you are. You're a new creation. You're changed. You're, you're born again. He says the old has passed away. The new things have come. Now there's a new way to live, but you got to think according to the truth by faith that you're changed. You got to think according to the truth of who you are in order to do what you've been created to do, what you have the ability now to do. So he spends his time building up their understanding of who they are, why they're there, what they've got, and then he says, therefore, if you believe this, if by faith you act on this, this is what you will do. Look at Ephesians 4.24. He says, to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Then he goes on, to, uh, with another therefore, and he starts talking about some of the things we've talked about here. But look at verse 30. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We're going to look at the power of his instruction there, forgiving each other. You know, that's probably the hardest thing for anybody to do. And it's interesting that one of the first things, after he reminds them who they are, one of the first things he goes to is, hey, job number one, forgiveness. Hallmark of a Christian, forgiveness. Because of all that you have, forgiveness. Very, very freeing issue. We talk about freedom. Paul makes sure they understand they're free. He, uh, he's written to them. He's, he's made sure they understand that they're, fr they're free from the law. Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. We're free from the dictates, the demands, the bondage of the law. Remember the commandments? It's not that they're bad. It's just nobody can keep them. Nobody in their own strength anyway. He gave them a couple thousand years to try to suck it up and do it. To be righteous out of one's own resources, impossible. All it became to them was like a millstone around their neck. They could not keep the law and neither can we. The law is there to break us, to show us we've got a problem, to show us that we, have, we don't have the ability, to show us that we have a deficit and we need a strength that in and of ourselves, a wisdom in and of, us, of ourself, we don't have. The law, it says, is for the ungodly, not the godly. Recognize what Paul just said to us? We're righteous and holy. The law isn't for us. We're free from the law. Now that as believers, it says we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit now dwells within the believer. That was the missing part of the person. They had no strength. They lost that in the garden, regained it that day of Pentecost when Jesus, after raising from the dead, after uh, ascending into heaven, sent his Holy Spirit to those who believe, and he's been doing it ever since. He's reinstalling the power and the wisdom of man within the man. It's his spirit. That's what we have as a believer. So now we don't have to be confined by the law. If we're walking with the wisdom and the power of God, and he's leading... He isn't going to steal. He isn't going to lie. He isn't going to murder. He isn't going to cheat because that's not who he is. He's righteous. He's now made us righteous. We don't have to live according to these boundaries. We live according to the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's not going to break any laws. So we're set free from the bondage of the law. We're also set free from the world. In Galatians 4, 3, 
We're told, so, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. The elemental, elementary things of the world. What we're free from is that treadmill of the world that says you got to look this way to be accepted. you got to have this to be acknowledged. You have to do this to be significant. All the emphasis that's put on talent, uh, money, looks, uh, education, all the things that the world says measures a man or a woman, he says, you're free from that. I measure a man or a woman, and I'm telling you, you're my child. You measure up. I'm the judge, I'm the jury, and I have declared you righteous and holy. Not because of your deeds, but because of the deeds of my son. We're accepted in the beloved. So we're set free from the elemental things of the world, that, that pressure, the peer pressure of the world. We're also free from condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? That's a tremendous freedom. Because we have an enemy who, want, who is a liar. He's a thief. And he wants to constantly take our past. He wants to constantly to take our failures. He wants constantly to take the issues where we trip and we fall. And he wants to beat the tar out of us with them. He gives us thoughts of condemnation, thoughts of unworthiness, thoughts of, of, of not measuring up and just reminds us time after time after time again. That's why we have to know we're forgiven. That's why we have to know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus became our condemnation. He was condemned because of us. And he took it out of the way. So we're free from condemnation. We're also free from sin. John 8, 34, 36. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. We're free from the bondage of sin. Before we became a believer, before we had Christ dwelling within us, we couldn't do anything but sin. We could do good things, but for wrong reasons. People do a lot of good, you know, benevolent deeds, but they're doing it for the recognition. They're doing it for, for some other reason other than Christ motivating this as a, you have this, I've given you this, I want... I want you to, to give to this. That's, that's not why people who don't have Christ do good things. They're in bondage to a need to serve self. But we're set free from that. We're set free from the law of sin. A non-believer, they're in bondage. We don't have to sin any longer. We have the ability to do righteousness. So we've got the freedom from sin. But here's the one that I think people really get hung up on. One, they get hung up on who they are in Christ. They, they, they just try harder. They become a Christian and now it's almost like, wow, I got to do even better. 
you know, I, I was really bad before, and that's why I came to Jesus. Now I've got to do better because he demands more. No, we've got to let him live his life. So we've got to know who we are as, our, as children of the Most High God. We've got to renew our mind to the truth of who we are. But the other thing we really need to know is we're forgiven. That's what Steve and Bill talked about last week, so I'm not going to mention much about it except for the fact that if we don't know we're forgiven... We're not going to forgive anybody else. You can't give what you don't have. You can't pass out what you have not received. If you don't know you are completely, totally forgiven, if you don't believe you're completely and totally forgiven for all your sin, past, present, and future, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. It's done. It is finished. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who's already written the book of Revelation, past tense, because he's already been there, done that, seen that. He's seen, he was the beginning and the end. He knows your whole life. He knows everything you're ever going to do. He knew you before he went to the cross. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He knew the day you would be conceived. He knows the day you're going to die. He knows everything you did, and he did it before he went to the cross. And on the cross, he took it all, and he said, it is finished. Done. Completely, totally done. You know how freeing that is? Colossians, if you want to flip back a couple of pages in your Bible from Ephesians, verse 13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, all our transgressions, having canceled out, notice past tense, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Done. That's why he said it is finished. There therefore remains no sacrifice necessary for the forgiveness of sin. He doesn't have to come at the end of the age to pay for all the stuff we did. The death he died, he died once for all. So we are completely forgiven. Now knowing all this, knowing we've been washed, we've been cleansed, in order for a holy, righteous spirit of God to dwell within us, Knowing this, now what? Now what? What has he set us apart for? What's our purpose? Well, what was the purpose of man in the beginning? To bear the image of God. To reveal God. The character of God. So that God would be seen in a man form, a woman form. That's what Jesus did. He came to show us what normal looked like. Everything he did, he did by direction of his father. He, he said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Everything I do, I do by direction of my father. The works that I do, they're not mine. It's my father at work. That's what we're set apart for. So when we get to the issue of forgiveness, forgiveness is just pure, flat-out obedience to the truth. It's just being who we are. Read 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. We, we pretty much memorize uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have, have come. Behold, new things have come. But look what it goes on to say. We kind of end there. It goes on to say, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. People, this is our job. This is our privilege. This is our calling to be ambassadors of the creator God, the forgiving God. An ambassador doesn't go and speak his own mind. We don't send ambassadors to China for them to make up stuff. Well, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you that. Here's my opinion. We send ambassadors to another country to convey the, the word of the leadership of our country. We're sent as ambassadors to convey the word of our Father, of our Lord. And what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. Forgiveness. We're here to be a minister of reconciliation. Reconciliation cannot, will not, never happen without forgiveness. Forgive, unforgiveness drives a wedge in a relationship. Unforgiveness pushes people away. Unforgiveness causes, causes us to self-protect. There is no hope for reconciliation if there's not forgiveness. Now keep in mind, there can be forgiveness and still no reconciliation. There's still people who are going to go to hell because that's where they choose to go because they don't want to believe that they need a savior they don't want the gift of God which is eternal life eternal life is a relationship with him hell is where where they don't experience a relationship with him there will be people unreconciled to God but it was by their choice not his so reconciliation is possible through forgiveness it's not a given but we're to be ministers of reconciliation. We're also called to be normal. What's normal? You. You can be just like Christ. Do you realize that? Didn't he say that? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? Didn't he say... You know, go now and do likewise. Normal is being that vessel through which the wisdom and the power of God is expressed. That's what's normal. The things of God are now normal for us. Not that we can do them on our own. It's, all, it's still, just as it was in Christ, just as it was in Adam, it's got to be God leading us 
out of obedience, out of an expression of who we are, out of being, living an abundant life, us being a container of the Spirit of God and Him doing the work through us. So what's normal, natural and normal, is to forgive. If you're still in the book of Colossians, I think that's where, no, I didn't. I didn't leave you off there. I left you off in uh, 2 Corinthians. If you want to flip back to Colossians here, look at chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's you, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's, un, it's so important to understand that this is our calling. Forgiveness is a part of the deal. Quite honestly, it's our main message. What greater love is there than this than a man lay down his life for his friends? They will know my disciples by their love. Right? Love is expressed in its purest form in forgiveness. Its deepest form, its most penetrating form. That's what we're called to. That's what's normal. In uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In 1 Peter 3, we're told, never return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead, knowing that you were called for this purpose. That's normal. And in doing so, you will inherit a blessing. You want a blessing? Extend forgiveness and follow it up with a, ble with, with a blessing. That's how Jesus did it. When he was on the cross, he took the worst of everything, all of the worst of everything. The worst that mankind could do is hang their creator on a cross. And it became our greatest blessing. Salvation. He didn't give us what we deserved. He blessed us and said. And who can, who can escape that kind of love? This is normal. Absolutely, totally normal. But I'll tell you what hangs people up. The world's way is me first. The world's way is find an angle for me. Jesus knew that when he was teaching about forgiveness to people who weren't Christians, which when he was on the planet was everybody. Have you ever thought about that? There weren't any Christians on the planet when Jesus was on the planet except for him because none of them had the Holy Spirit like he had the Holy Spirit. That's why everybody thought 
He was odd. Nobody, I mean, they followed around going, where does this guy get these toys? Yeah. Where does he get this power? Movie line, but nobody got it. <laughs> but we look at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and I've heard a lot of sermons on forgiveness, and I've heard a lot of bad sermons on forgiveness. That's, you may have a different opinion. You may consider this one bad. That's okay. But the reason I consider them bad is they preach on forgiveness from Matthew chapter 6. Where at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, If you forgive others their transgressions, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their transgressions, neither will the Father forgive you. So under that principle, why would I forgive? I'd forgive to get forgiveness. It isn't something I want to do. It isn't something that's normal and natural for me. It's a selfish reason. That's what all of the law was. Obey so that I get in. Obey so that I get favor. We treat God as a cosmic vending machine. That's what Jesus knew. That's what he was pointing out. He says, you guys think you're keeping the law? Here, try this one on. Since you wanted to stone me for, for forgiving the paralytic his sins, try this one on. You won't get in unless you forgive people their transgressions. You tried to stone me because I said his sins were forgiven. You said God alone can forgive sin. Guess, right, guess what? You're right. So guess who I am? So he gave them a law that they could not keep. They knew they could not forgive. They knew it. So he painted them into a corner so that they would know they weren't righteous, they couldn't fulfill all the law, they knew they were sunk, which meant they needed a Savior, and there he was, standing right in front of them. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32? What does it say in Colossians 3, verse 13? Forgive each other as you have been forgiven, as Christ has forgiven you. Before the cross, it was forgiven. You'll be forgiven. After the cross, forgive because you've been forgiven. You've been washed, cleansed, now indwelt by the one who can do it through you. And that's what forgiveness demands. We still can't do forgiveness. It's not something we can sum up and do. It's something God has done, and we become now the ambassador of what he's done. We're here to give his message. We're here to tell a lost and dying world, a fearful world, hey, God loves you. And we get to carry the most powerful message there is. You're forgiven. Remember the title of this, be, you know, is it bad to be mad? That's the title of this series. We talked about anger and how anger is that alert. It's not a bad thing. It's an alert to let you know you've been hurt. It's an alert that tells you, hey, somebody's sin just splashed mud on my white suit and I don't like it. I have to deal with it. It was wrong. 
Anger is the alert to let us know we were headed this way just fine and now we've been knocked this way so that we become ambassadors of the forgiveness of God where we say, God, this stunk. This was wrong. What they did is in clear violation of who you are and it affected my life. But whatsoever they've done to me, that they've done to you. So I want to stand in agreement with that. I want to be the ambassador of your forgiveness. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. God, I'm going to release them to you. The word that's translated forgiveness in the Old Testament is a fishing term that literally means to release. But you know who gets released? You. They're still on the hook with God. Remember Romans 12, Proverbs 22? They're still on the hook. You're not. Forgiveness is not for their benefit. It's for your benefit. That's what we do. We're ambassadors of God's forgiveness. But it isn't easy. Don't ever think it's easy. Don't ever think you're going to want to do it. Because that emotion of anger is, is, pre, is present and, and you're going to want to return evil for evil or insult for insult. You're going to want to make them pay. David did, remember? When Absalom and, and Ahithophel, his, his son and his best friend, his advisor, remember when they, they uh, betrayed him? They, they usurped his authority, took his kingdom. David was on the run. David's out there mad as all get out, scared as all get out. He's, he can't even move. He's a sitting duck. And he's sitting there going, God, what is going on? He describes a panic attack at the beginning of Psalm 55 when this is happening. And so he rehearses it. He sits there and goes, why am I being affected this way? What happened? Where did I get hurt? And he says, you know, it's not an enemy who did this. I could understand that. It's not, it's not somebody who hated me. I could run from him. But it's you, my familiar friend. Familiar as in a marriage where, where it's like, there's nothing I, I, I kept from you. You know me better than I know myself. I trusted you. I told you my most intimate secrets. I told you my, my greatest fears. I shared with you my emotions, and you betrayed me. You think he felt good about it? No. And you hear that in the next verse. He tells God, he says, I know why I'm hurt. It's my son. It's my best friend. They, be, they betrayed me. How, I mean, it's deep. May they go alive to the grave. Whoa, that doesn't sound very good. Bury them alive, God. If I could be you for a day, plant them. Spoonful at a time. So they suffer. So they anticipate. But the next verse he says, but as for me, I'll wait upon God. He'll renew my strength. I'm releasing them to you, Lord. Because it's your business. Their sin is against you. What you want to do, your business. That's forgiveness. We already know what he's going to do. 
forgive them. Now, he may, you know, consequences of man, a man's own iniquity will correct him. God's going to make sure they know what they did. It's going to become another weight that they carry, which hopefully will lead them to repentance. But it's not our job. He doesn't need us to help him out. And in fact, if you don't extend God's forgiveness, if you're there going, wait a minute, God, you may have forgiven him, but I'm not gonna. You're saying, God, I'm gonna exalt my throne above yours. Not a good plan. God, I don't think you paid enough. I'm gonna make him pay more. Not a good plan. Here's the bottom line. Forgiveness is true freedom for you. Being the instrument through whom God extends forgiveness brings you freedom. I have a very good friend whom I'll call Jean, because that's her name. And she gave me permission to share her story, and I'm going to share it really briefly, not given hardly any real credence to this story because it's an amazing story. I learned a lot through Jean. Jean was a woman who uh, was pretty much a recluse. She was diagnosed at the time I met her. She had uh, double-digit personalities. She was on all kinds of antipsychotic medication and whatnot. Basically, she was a wreck. She was walking with a walker, hunched over, and Jean, I know you're going to listen to this, and I apologize, but she looked like a very old woman. And she was in her late 50s. Didn't talk to anybody, afraid of everybody. Sat in her uh, complex and wrote all day long, pretty much. And the only time she went outside was to get basic necessities or to uh, make copies of the things she wrote. Uh, very much troubled. But she heard me speak one time. She did go to church. She knew her Bible better than I know mine. But she went to church one day and heard me speak. And God, in her words, told her that I was safe, that I should talk to her, or that she should talk to me. So she did. And we sat down and we started talking and though she knew her Bible incredibly well, she hadn't connected the dots. She didn't know what we just talked about. She didn't know who she was in Christ. She didn't know that she was completely forgiven. She didn't know of, of, of the plan and the purpose and the hope there is in Christ. She just knew that she had been abused her whole life. Multiple abusers from the time she was small. So much so that she spent much of her life in, uh, too much of her life in a mental institution in Yankton. But she was out now, and she was talking to Connie and I. And we shared just what I shared with you over the course of a little longer period of time. But we, I just shared what, what I shared with you. And what I saw was amazing. When she grasped who she was in Christ when she grasped that the, the offenders could be released to God 
and she didn't have to carry the weight of the sin of those people, when she understood she could extend God's forgiveness to those people and did, it was amazing. The next time I saw her, she didn't have the walker. She had a cane. Next time I saw her, she wasn't using a cane. She was walking without aid. Next time I saw her, it looked like she grew six inches because she was upright. And all the time, she was getting younger in her appearance. She was getting social. I told her one time, God, God has great plans for you, and he's going to bring you all kinds of friends, and she laughed. And today she's got a social calendar that doesn't have any room. And I send clients to her because she knows what God can do. She's free because the Son has set her free. If you're in here this morning and you're holding a grudge, you're harboring bitterness towards somebody, you've been wounded, you've been hurt, and you didn't know what to do with it, or you've been unwilling to do something with it, I know everybody in here is in that camp. We've been hurt, you've been rejected, we've been betrayed, abused. If you're still carrying that weight, it's gonna kill you. It's gonna shrink you up and flatten you in the ground. Let it go. Let it go. It's God's job. If you've never known how to do forgiveness, you do now. You partner with God and you release them to God and you say, God, you've forgiven them. This is your deal. I want to be your ambassador. I'm extending forgiveness to whoever. Doesn't mean you have to go to them because you're probably just going to get hurt again. This is between you and God. Release them. If I could bottle forgiveness, I'd be a billionaire. And I'd sell it in the health food store. I'd sell it in the pharmacy. And I'd sell it in the cosmetic department. That would be my biggest outlet. But I can't. But forgiveness is available in all its abundance to you. To be extended to the people to whom it was given. Please do it. Don't carry the weight. Someone already did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you've forgiven us, that we may in turn forgive others. Father, thank you. And I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that needs to be released from the burden that they've been carrying, I pray that before the sun goes down, they talk to you about it and they hand it to you so we can experience true freedom. And we'll give you thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name.